Hello everybody, it's great to see you. Thank you for coming out on this nice uh, October afternoon and welcome to a happy hour with Pastor Dale, uh, tackling tough topics with uplifting love and grace. And uh, I am so excited for today's topic and uh, thrilled that you've been able to uh, come and be here with us today. Before I introduce our guest, um, I just want to mention that uh, those of you watching online today or in uh, the coming days or weeks, we are so grateful that you are here. And one of the things that we try to do at Lighthouse Church is uh, talk about real life stuff. Um, we are a place where people often come at, in a journey of, of recovery or certainly looking for some help or assistance in life. Um, and are open often to uh, what God might do in their life as they come to this church. And uh, we have uh, decided over these last months to have an um, opportunity on a monthly basis to invite somebody from our community with a, an expertise on a topic that pertains to our church family um, to have them come in and interview, ask and answer some questions, and just kind of make it an event. So welcome, and thank you for being here. Uh, so it's my privilege to introduce to you Michelle Lovehaug, um, and um, I'm going to ask Michelle to share a little bit about who she is in just a moment, but I want to start by saying that I have known Michelle for a long time, and I was going to say it's been 20-some years, but they would think that that means that I met you as a kid, yeah. um, and that's not quite true. Um, but uh, Michelle um, is a, a believer, follower of Jesus, um, and Michelle and I were uh, together in my last church, uh, before Lighthouse Church, and um, I have come to respect very much Michelle's experience as a clinical social worker um, and someone who works with kids and has... Uh, some real skill in working with kids. So I'm just thrilled to have you here today, and welcome. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so tell, why don't you introduce yourself to us, tell us what you would, what would you like us to know about Michelle? Well, first of all, I am a wife, a mother, and a sister, um, so that's me personally. But professionally, I am a clinical social worker. And so what that means is I provide therapy to kids and families, and I've been doing this for about 24 years, probably as long as I have known Pastor Dale. Probably. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> um, and so a lot of my work is dealing with, uh, working with kids that have trauma, have experienced trauma, um, helping um, their parents with that reunification process. I've worked with kids that are in foster care, kids that have been adopted, um, kids that are having behavioral disorders. A lot of my work has been, lately has been with a lot of younger kids, but I also like to work with those adolescents too because there is a different dynamic between working with the really little kids versus the teenagers. So I've always wondered, um, I didn't tell you I was going to ask this, but um, what led you to be, get into this field? Into social work? Yeah. Well, I was on a mission trip. Huh. <laughs> in college when we went to downtown Minneapolis to serve in a homeless shelter and it it was my calling just to hmm. keep helping people that were underserved and needed that help. So that mission trip impacted you. Very, mm -hmm. very cool. Um, so um, we're going to talk a little bit today about, um, about some of the trauma that kids might have, um, especially as it might pertain to uh, Lighthouse Church, but then we're going to kind of kind of um, open it up as well to conversation about 
advice for, for people who might be, um, you know, dealing with kids in their home after trauma, especially if they're reunified. So, um, so tell us a little bit uh, more about the, you know, you've mentioned the different ages of the kids that you um, have worked with. And um, are kids open to working with somebody when they come in? How does that all work? Um, typically, if we, um, well, they come in for an assessment, we meet them. And if they have parents that are bringing them in and the parents are wanting them to come to therapy and encouraging them to come and talk, yes, they are very open. We have other kids that, um, if, especially if they're in the foster care system or they've experienced a trauma, sometimes they don't want to talk because it's too hard to bring up those those experiences, so they would rather avoid. Um, they also don't ever want to hurt or say anything against their parents because they're very loyal to their parents. They protect their parents. Um, and so they're afraid if they say something that's going to be reported, it's going to get their parents into trouble. So they'll, they tend to be a little bit more quiet, okay. right, and inward. Yeah. Huh. And um, one of the things that um, I've experienced in my ministry um, my whole ministry, but especially at Lighthouse, is that um, a lot of people have trauma that did originate in their childhood. Um, can you talk a little bit about what childhood trauma kind of does to people and, you know, what it does to kids? But you can expand beyond that if you would like. Um, so there was, it's a metaphor, it's called Ghosts in the Nursery. Um, it was an article that was written several decades ago, but it's still applicable to today. So what that is, is if we are maybe, whatever kind of trauma we experience as a youth, whether that's being abused or, um, it can be any kind of trauma, right? If we don't work through that trauma, um, what happens is then we bring it into our, our adult life. Okay. And, and then it influences all of our relationship. It influences the way we parent our kids. It influences our relationships with our partners, with family, with friends. And so um, how that works is sometimes is then we kind of identify with that abuser in an unintentional way, if that makes sense. If we work through the trauma, we can, we'll identify with our children. Can, can you just say... a a tish more about that. What do you mean that we identify with that abuse? Well, it's almost like we, we kind of imitate hmm. what our abusers did to us. Okay. And maybe it might be a verbal, verbal abuse, right? An emotional abuse. Lashing out at our kids. Blaming them for things that they didn't really do, but it triggered us. Okay. So, so there are times when um, I will do something and I'll think, oh my gosh, that was my dad who did that. That's kind of what you're yes. talking about, yes. except in a very negative way yes. sometimes. Mm -hmm. okay. But uh, if we work through that trauma, right, if we identify it, if we can verbalize it, we can then identify with our kids and say, oh yeah, I'm not going to do that to my kids like I was treated. Mm -hmm. Do you know what yeah. I mean? I'm not going to treat them the same way that I was treated when I was a kid. So, you know, our goal is to kind of talk about um, kids and families and the dynamics there, but you're identifying something that um, we hadn't really talked about, but somebody may be here or will be watching in the future that says, you know, I haven't really dealt with my trauma from my childhood, even though I'm 30, 40, 50, 60 years old. Um, and um, are you suggesting that that would still be beneficial then, if that is the case? Yes, absolutely. It's never too late. Never too late. Never too late. Okay. 
Um, very good. Well, um, so one of the things that um, I have noticed um, is that um, it's not uncommon for, and you kind of alluded to this already, but for um, there to be almost um, generational trauma that gets passed down. Mm-hmm. Have you noticed that? Is that true? Um, you know, how does that happen? And is there something that, you know, I mean, are we doomed if we're kind of caught into that? <laughs> no, we can always change the cycle. So what happens if, if grandparents, you know, parent your parents a certain way, right? And that's how you learn sometimes how to parent unless we figure out different, right? Unless we work through that trauma and learn different ways to parent. That's how we change that cycle. But the other thing that you bring up is I, you know, I think about the boarding schools that Native Americans used to be forced to go into. They had to leave their tribe. They had to leave their family. And they had to, they were forced to not be who they were, who their identity was. And so then how does that affect generation after generation after generation? Yeah, yeah. We have uh, a lot of, um, you know, Native Americans in our, in our church community and especially the larger recovery community that surrounds Lighthouse Church. And, and I think that there is a real um, desire to kind of rekindle something that has been lost in that, mm-hmm. um, in that tradition. So I um, appreciate you sharing that. Um, so, um, so here's, uh, th- th- this may surprise you. Um, there are people at this church and this greater lighthouse community who sometimes struggle with addiction issues. I, I have heard that. Yeah, you have. I have. And um, so um, let's just put it out there. Um, what, what happens for kids in a home where there is a parent really struggling with substance use disorder? Um, What we know is that kids who are in a home with addicted parents, one or two, um, they're at a higher chance of developing an addiction themselves, as well as mental health issues, depression, anxiety. Um, What we see with kids, um, well, typically we'll see, we might see a child that ends up being parentified, meaning they'll kind of take care of the other siblings. Sometimes it's the oldest child, right? They take care of the younger siblings. They try to get them to school. They get them dressed because they don't want to upset the parent um, that has the addiction. Um, They take care of the parent if they're hungover or high. Um, So we might have a parentified child. Um, We might have an escape goat in the family. This is the child that acts out behaviorally, the one that's getting into trouble at school, not listening at home. and those, that's a child that acts out externally, right? Um, and those are the ones that usually get the attention of authorities and the school people, right? Because mm. they're the ones who are acting out. Um, you also might have a sibling that um, is very inward or a child that's very inward. Um, they're kind of the ones that hide in the corner. They don't make a peep. You know, they're perfect kind. You know what I mean? Like they try to be perfect so they don't upset anybody. Um, I always worry about that kid more than the externalizer because that Mm. kid is getting lost, if that makes sense. Mm. So you see some of that. Um, You see kids who, they wonder, why do mom or dad drink? Mm -hmm. Why do they keep doing that? Why don't they stop? Why can't I make them stop? What's wrong with me? Mm. So they, they have some internalized messages about that. So as they go, grow through um, adolescence and then into adulthood, um, do the, kind of do the, 
I, I don't want to categorize people, um, but do some of those um, behaviors that they demonstrated as young age then kind of do those carry through, or how? What does that look like then in adulthood and as parents themselves later? So um, the parentified child probably is trying to take care of everybody, right? Take care of her partner or his partner. We have a group for that, by the way, just saying. so. Um, they're caretakers, right? Yeah. And probably don't take care of themselves very well, yeah. right? Because they're constantly taking care of everybody else. Um, the child that externalizes as they get older, they are probably the kids that are getting into trouble, being sent to juvenile detention, um, getting involved in drugs themselves, you know what I mean, just because they're an externalizer and that's how they're trying to, they're acting it out, right? Mm. Um, and then the younger one, if I'm thinking, if I think older, middle, it's not always yeah. like that, do you know what I mean? Right. Um, but the, the little, the, the one that internalizes it probably is going to be um, depressed, mm. yeah. right? Anxious, not knowing how to cope, um, might have some self-harm behaviors those type of things. Yeah, and my guess is that, you know, what we're describing is like, you know, some kids might, you know, demonstrate some of yes. each, and so it's not like you fit into one category no. or the other. No, these but are... these are effects of trauma for children. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and somewhat special or unique um, for um, families that are dealing with significant substance abuse, I imagine. Yes. Yeah, okay. Um, so um, I think um, that's kind of a depressing picture. Um, <laughs> they can, there's help. There's yeah, always there's, help. Yeah, there is help. Um, so, you know, is it, one of the things, I was just going to try to figure out how to say this. So one of the, I'm in long-term recovery. You know that already, but... Well, you do too. Um, I'm in recovery myself, and it's very common for me uh, to meet people in the recovery world who say, you know, my parents were, you know, alcoholics or addicts, and I was determined not to do that. And um, here I am, you know, at a recovery mm -hmm. meeting um, or in jail or something. And um, I'm just kind of wondering... Um, you know, I, my, my kids um, were grown before I really kind of really dived into, um, you know, self-destructive, addictive behaviors um, in a way that brought me to Lighthouse Church. But, um, but I'm wondering um, about talking to your kids and if you have any advice about that because um, that, that can be awkward sometimes as parents. You know, how do we talk about our, that? So let's assume that maybe we're clean, we're sober, and now how do we approach our kids in regards to these subjects? you have any advice on that? <laughs> um, I always think honesty is the best policy. So a lot's going to depend on how old your kids are, right? Yeah. So if we're talking about little kids, when I'm talking little, I'm thinking six and under, seven and under, Right. Um, so what you're going to want is, I, I, it's going to be really important for that parent to take responsibility for the choices they made. And that's super hard. I, I'm, not, I'm up here talking about it like it's easy, but it's not. I understand that because there's a lot of shame and guilt. Um, and we've unintentionally hurt our kids, right? And so taking that responsibility and using words that the little kids can understand. I'm sorry I put 
I made choices and I put bad stuff into my body, hmm. right? Yeah. And I'm gonna pro- I promise that I'll try to not do it again. We can't promise that it won't happen again, but that we're gonna try and we're gonna take a day at a time. And I'm sorry I didn't, couldn't do the mommy job or I couldn't do the daddy job, yeah. right? But I'm gonna try to be better. Yeah. Okay, so taking that responsibility. Older kids and adolescents, you can use, you know, bigger words, right? And you, <laughs> I'm so sorry I hurt you. Yeah. I, I chose to use drugs. I got addicted. I made a, made a bad choice, and I don't want that for you. Hmm. Okay, and I, so I always think honesty is the best policy, um, and it helps with that healing process. Okay, and you're also modeling taking responsibility. So your kids learn to do that as well. Yeah. So um, let's get into the complex stuff a little bit. Um, That wasn't complex enough? That was the easy part, yeah. Um, So we have a lot of people in our church who have been separated from their kids for periods of time. And um, how does, first of all, separation from mom and dad affect kids? It can be pretty traumatic, as you imagine. I mean... Even um, the most neglectful home or the most abusive home, I mean, kids don't want to leave, right? That's their home. That's their mom. That's their dad. That's, you know, that's that's what's familiar. And so being placed out of the home can be pretty traumatic for them. I mean, they're going to a strange place, you know, have to eat different food, have different rules. You know what I mean? It's it's quite a learning experience for them. Um, So we see these kids... They have anxiety, right? They're hypervigilant. They're worried. They're scared. What happened to mom? What what did I do wrong? You know, where's dad? Mm -hmm. You know, all of those things. So we see a lot of anxiety and a lot of worry. Um, Did that answer your question? Yeah. So so when they're reunited, um, we know that there are challenges that come as well. So, you know, when a family is reunited with their children... Um, what are some things that parents should be prepared for? Um, so, younger kids, um, it's going to be it's going to be all about trust, right? How do we? How does the parent kind of earn that trust back? Um, and it's a lot about being consistent and predictable, and that's for your older kids as well. Okay, that you're going to show up, that you're going to be there every day right? Um, That you're going to feed them, that you're going to put them to bed every night um, so that they can learn to trust you and that things are different from when they were before. Mm -hmm. That's what, it has to be different than it was before. So that's the, that's probably the most important Mm -hmm. thing. Be, be honest, but be, you know, clear that we're going to kind of try to get back into some normalcy. Um, What are some challenges that parents are going to face? Older kids that were placed in foster care and then returned might be angry, Hmm. okay? And um, angry at their, as much as they're underneath, probably really happy to be home, they're going to be angry. Hmm. And they might not want to listen. And they might mouth off, right? And they might get mad at at the parent, right? Hmm. But the parent needs to, if they can, right, respond appropriately. Say, I know you're angry. I made mistakes, I'm going to try not to do it again, okay? Instead of reacting back and saying, why don't you just go back to foster care then? Mm. You're happier back there, right? So being the parent, you need, we need to say, I'm sorry. I know you're angry. I'm going to try again. Yeah, so um, I think that 
that one of the challenges um, that comes in that time is, um, you know, parents kind of want to make up for, you know, for the, what's been lost. And, and so I know that when we met ahead of time, you talked quite a bit about boundaries and, and, and discipline. And, you know, what is it that, I mean, I just want to, I want to help parents, you know, who might tune into this in the future as well as those here today, you know, to know, you know, what, what should I expect? How do I, how do I navigate that? How should I be prepared? What should I do so that I, um, I can, you know, be the best parent possible for my kids as I, as they return home? So the first thing is, is that when child protection or CPS gets involved, no one wants that, right? And, and we sometimes we're really angry at that CPS worker, but it's going to be best to work with them versus against them, because that's going, you know, that's mm. going to help, okay? But the first thing is to take care of yourself. Mm. Go get treatment, go get help, because if you're not taking care of yourself, it's gonna be really hard to take care of those kids when they come home, okay? So the first thing is take care of yourself, okay? okay. Um, the second thing is try to attend all the visits that you can with your kids. We have seen a lot of parents due to addiction, right, or mental health needs miss those visits with their kids, and that's pretty devastating. So if we can get you sober, clean, and stable, please go to those visits, right? That's mm -hmm. going to help because that's going to look good, right? And, but it's going to help that relationship with your kids, right? Mend and heal that relationship. Um, the third thing is you need to probably find supports in place um, so that when the kids are returned home, you can continue with your treatment, right? We have a, it's, it's really hard to go to your therapy appointments and to go to group and to go to treatment when you don't have childcare. So is there a way that you can find some supports to help with your kids so you can continue, right, that path of sobriety? Like what? Got some ideas? Um, we'll find a group that has childcare, if there yep. are any. Yeah, there's not many, but yes, okay. okay but um, if you have a friend that maybe is going through treatment too, that is a safe person, right? A good, you know. That's the key. So part of what yeah. I, I know that we deal with yeah. is, is well, n pretty much the people I know are contributing to why I'm here in the first place. So, mm -hmm. so it's going to be finding possibly some new people or going back to some people that maybe were safe in the past. Yes, someone who's safe that you can maybe have watch your kids, right, for you while you go to treatment. The hard thing is, is that when we have addiction, right, we sometimes burn bridges with our family members, right? And so hopefully there's a way that we can mend them and use them as a support to watch our kids so we can keep going in treatment. Or a safe friend, right? And maybe you guys can share childcare responsibilities so everybody can continue with treatment. Yeah, I think one of the most important um, pieces of that, and we, we talk about that at Lighthouse a lot, um, is that um, the most important thing you can do for your kids is to take care of your own self first. You mm -hmm. said that. Mm -hmm. And um, often what happens, um, we see it regularly here, is, is um, you know, people will really start down a good path of recovery. Um, within this community, you know, um, God starts to work in their life and, um, you know, they get a job and there's a sense of stability. And then um, life kind of happens 
and work takes over and some of the demands of life. And so I, I, you know, I tell people all of the time, just keep working on yourself. Trust that God will take care of the rest. Just keep working on yourself and trust that God will take care of the rest. And um, I think that um, if we don't take care of ourselves, none of this is going to work. So that's number one. Okay. Was there anything else in regards to that? Yeah, I've got I, a lot. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> um, the other thing is, is if you are working on um, trying to get your children back, right, reunifying back with your children, they're, mo- they're most likely in services themselves, right, working through that trauma. So mm-hmm. go to, reach out to their therapist, right? See if you can start attending the therapy appointments with, their ki- with your kids. Um, as long as you have rights to your kids, you have a right to participate in those therapy sessions and find out what you can do to help your child, right, heal in that process. So reach out to the therapist. I absolutely love it when I have birth families calling me and I invite them in because that is a part of the healing process and that's going to help with that transition back home. And we want that to be really successful. So reach out to that therapist. Again, I know it's, you have guilt and shame And we feel bad, but the therapists are going to want to help your child, right? So they're going to want to work with you to be able to help your child. Okay? Yeah, yeah. So um, I've, I've noticed that sometimes um, parents will get their kids back and they, you know, maybe they've been separated for, let's say, six months or a year or even longer, and they want to make it all up right away. Um, you know, we're going to, you know, we're going to buy all the best things or, you know, I wasn't able to get you Christmas presents, you know, mm-hmm. so we're going to, you know, do eight Christmases all this year. And um, I just, I, I noticed that there's like this urgency and, and, and even this um, apprehension sometimes to be engaged in discipline um, mm-hmm. and to set boundaries. So can you just talk about that a little bit? Is that common? And um, any advice that you would have for families? Absolutely. And I, and I think that's when we sometimes make those empty promises, too, oh. right? It's going to be so much better when you get home. We're going to go to Valley Fair down in Minneapolis. Mm. Or, you know, um, what kids want is for you to be present. That's what they want. They want you to be there every day, right? Um, they don't want all they get. Yeah, sure, they're going to be excited, right? But what they want is you to be there every single day. Um, and it's important to have that routine. And they need, they need structure, which includes discipline and limit setting. Hmm. Right? Um, again, it goes back to that consistency and predictability. So kids who have been traumatized and who are anxious need to know that, hey, if I mouth off to mom... This is what's going to happen. Do you know what I mean? A consistent limit being set. I'm going to get in trouble, right? Um, so that's going to help their anxiety and their trauma if that, if that limit setting is consistent. Does that make sense? So mm-hmm. you're still going to want to set limits and have consequences for kids, even though you're trying to make up for the trauma and the anxiety that was caused. Yeah. So having routine. Like, we're going to get up at this time in the morning. We're gonna, I'm going to give you breakfast, right? This is about the time we eat lunch every day. I'm going to be here when you go to bed, if, unless your job doesn't allow you to, right? But there's going to be a routine and structure that is same every single day, as best as you can. Obviously, life happens, mm-hmm. right? But that consistency and that predictability is going to be more important to your kids than the 10 Barbies you buy. 
right? <laughs> or the Nintendo Switch. Yeah. So um, I would guess that that can be especially hard for parents who have had trauma themselves in the past because it's not, you know, not only my kid now I'm dealing with, but I might be having some of my own trauma that hopefully we're dealing with um, that mm -hmm. is triggered. So it can be pretty messy. Well, and I think, too, um, we see our kids go into foster care and they get some nice oh. things sometimes, right? And then so we feel like we have to provide that. But your child just wants you to be there. Hmm. They just yeah. want you to be present. That might right? be one of the most important messages that mm -hmm. we are able to share. Kids just want you to be there. They just want you to be there. Mm -hmm. Okay. Even if they're angry at you and mouth off to you, you still be there for them, right? You love them, you just might not like that behavior. Right? Yeah. What, what if the behavior is unmanageable? You get help. Okay. Okay. That sounds simple. <laughs> you ask for help. Okay. And, and I think sometimes our families that have had CPS in their past, right? Maybe they're not involved anymore. Do you guys know what I mean with CPS, Child Protection yep. Services? Yep. Okay. Um, they're afraid to ask for help because they're afraid they're going to look like a bad parent. I w we would so much rather have people ask for help. Hmm. You know what I mean? And so if you've got a child that's not behaving well and for some, you can't get them to listen, you can't get them to go to school, ask for help. Okay? Yeah. Yeah. Wait, no. Mm -hmm. um, so um, one of the things that I wanted to ask you is, is uh, I wanted to give you an opportunity to talk, talk a little bit about where you work um, and um, you know, what kind of services are available there. But when we talk about you know, getting help, where do we go for help? Um, so um, one of the challenges that many within our church deal with um, is they may be on Medicaid. Mm -hmm. um, and so you know, that, that can be a barrier. Um, and for many, it might be that, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to keep my life together. And so, uh, you know, asking for additional help and in the midst of trying to pay bills and just deal with all the dynamics that people, you know, um, deal with in regards to barriers from moving forward. Just, can you just talk about that a little bit? Where do we go for help? How do we, you know, how do we do that? And do you have any advice about that? It's overwhelming. Yes, it is. Okay. Um, there's a lot of community mental health clinics in our area. And, and I know right now there seems to be a long wait list everywhere. And unfortunately, that seems to be common everywhere. Okay. Mm. Um, just get yourself, you know, find. Can I advertise myself right now? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so we currently just hired a therapist. So if people who have Minnesota, a new therapist, um, have Minnesota Medicaid or North Dakota Medicaid can get in this week. Hmm. I mean, we have also have urgent and crisis appointments available for people um, that they can use. Okay. Um, so our Moorhead office is the, where we just hired our new therapist, but um, we can also see people from North Dakota, even though we're in Moorhead, okay? And see North Dakota Medicaid, even though we're in Moorhead. So I work at Solutions Behavioral Health, um, and we have a clinic both in Fargo and in Moorhead. There are some brochures out in the entryway. Yeah. Um, we also have a clinic in Bismarck. So anyone who's watching online from yep. Western North Dakota, we have an office in Bismarck. We have therapists that travel down to Breckenridge. So if you have a family 
that's in Wapaton and needs services, we have somebody in Breckenridge. Um, we have eight sites, um, Detroit Lakes, Fergus Falls, Alexandria, and St. Cloud. Okay. Um, so Minnesota Medicaid and North Dakota Medicaid, we can get in pretty quickly. Um, it's people who have third-party insurances that it's a little bit harder because just the wait list gets a little bit longer. That's but. almost like counterintuitive of what <laughs> our normal experience is. Like, you mean I can get in quicker if, I have, if yeah. I'm on, on Medicaid? But that, so I just want you to know that. I think that was one of the advantages of bringing Michelle, is she works for an organization that deals a lot with people um, in our church culture that um, may have a lot of barriers mm -hmm. to getting some help. So, And the majority of our the people that we work have Minnesota Medicaid and North Dakota Medicaid. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I want to, before we do it, we're going to do a little question and answer time. I wanted to make sure we um, gave plenty of time for questions um, and answers here. But, um, you know, give us a little hope, okay? Um, you know, what, because what, uh, this is, you know, we, in, uh, in this church, um, we live this day in and day out. And um, it, it is, um, it's overwhelming. I mean, just life for many here is overwhelming. And I just want to give, I want to encourage you to give us some hope and, um, you know, let us know from your experience that help is possible. I wouldn't be in this job if I didn't think there was hope, right? Um, trauma work is hard work. It's not easy because we have to face those demons, right? Those ghosts in the nursery. Um, and it's, it's much easier to avoid mm. and not deal with it and relive it, right? And cope negatively. But you work, do the work and you're going to see, you know, the see the change. Um, I have seen um, relationships between parents and kids really greatly improve, okay, through the work. Um, but those parents have been present. They've come to the appointments. They um, are there for their kids, and they do the work. Um, I think parents are the most important piece to make progress for kids. Okay? And so if you come in to see me for therapy, um, if your child comes in to see me for therapy, I'm going to have you involved, right? Um, I only want to be involved in the child's life for a very short period of time, but you as parents are going to be involved with them forever. And so I want to teach the parents the skills, right? The things to do to help heal their child. Does that make sense? So I'm not having a child come in, wave my magic wand and send them home. I want to teach the parents how to be present for their child how to help teach the child to calm down, help, how to help the child listen, okay? Um, and so it's, it's amazing, the work that we see and the progress that we see. But it takes work. Mm. It's not easy, but it, um, but it does work. All right. So um, we're going to open it up for questions. Kirk, are you running the mic? Thank you. Um, if you uh, have a question um, for Michelle, um, if you could stand up and... Uh, Kirk will just hold the mic. You can speak into it. Give a brief question 
Um, we uh, we want to give um, as many opportunities as possible. Also, want you to know if you're watching on Facebook Live that you are welcome to write a question, and we will share it with Michelle. So, um, all right, here we go. My name is Marjorie. Uh, my situation is old. My youngest is 35. But back when I was raising our kids, my husband was ill, not working, and I was in the military. And so my income didn't, didn't allow for you know, much help. And I remember going into a, a therapy session, the whole family, and I was way too afraid. I grew up in an alcoholic home, and I brought lots of stuff with me in, into that marriage. Um, I was way too afraid to say what was going on, because I figured that my kids would be taken away. How does a parent in this day and age get through that and, and kind of be assured that they're not gonna have their kids taken away? That's, I mean, that's a hard question, right? Um, obviously, as therapists, we're mandated reporters. Okay? And we tell people that right up front. So if there's active child abuse, neglect, sexual abuse going on, I mean, we're mandated to report that by law. Um, we tell people that right up front. Um, I hope, though, that when people are coming in, that they will be honest, right? That they can trust us so that we can help them. I think if they're actively working to keep their child safe, um, that's going to, you know what I mean? It's going to be... CPS needs a real valid reason to be able to remove your child, right? And so if you're actively trying to make things better and you're keeping your child safe, you know, they might get involved, but they're not going to take your child away. Does that, does that make sense? Mm -hmm. if, you're, if you're active, I mean, if you are, if you're living with an abuser and they're abusing their child, okay, we're talking about some safety concerns, right? Yeah. That need to be, be reported. Right, but if you let's say you are in a domestic violence relationship, and you've separated from that abuser, they're not. You know what I mean? That's a good thing. That's looking at trying to keep your child safe. D does that make sense? So if you're not, if the kids aren't in harm right now, if you're doing everything you can to keep them safe, that's that's different. We might still have to report it, right? But they're going to work with you to keep your child safe. Does that answer your question, Marjorie? Okay, it would be like um, if you're living with a, se a registered sex offender, that could potentially, right, offend your child, then that's, that's a safety concern, right? Um, but if you're active, if you've removed yourself from that, right, and you're getting help and you're doing everything you can, that, that's better. Does that make sense? Because you're doing everything you can to keep your child safe. Does that answer that, Marjorie? Oh, yes, yes. Okay. <laughs> right now, I talk to my kids, and they, I had 
Okay, so anybody online is not hearing this. So why don't we come on and you can have that conversation with Michelle afterwards, okay? We want to make sure that people online get to participate, so. I'm Jim, alcoholic addict. I have three daughters, three sons, and um, um, judges, district court judges, Jamestown and Watertown, South Dakota, have separated me and their mothers. I have four with one mother and two with the South Dakota mother, and four with the mother in Jamestown. And my first question is, do you have services in Jamestown? Um, we do not have an office in Jamestown, but we can provide telehealth services. Okay. The next more important question, the reason I don't come forward with a lot of this is because I don't want to go back to prison, but for my own wellness, I will if that's what it takes. Hmm. I, I feel that that consequences have a reason they're there. But if I can work the program with you or whoever in the church here, that's the way I want to go, so I can get well myself. But I'm really glad I came for the second half because I wanted to get a full number and a resource. And the last question is, if I have to move, to a different city to get those resources. I will do that because I'm, I'm on a new mission thanks to this church to get well. Thank you. I'm glad you're here. Hmm. Um, we have another question over here, Kirk. Hmm. Hi, Lighthouse. I'm Louisa. And I briefly talked about this uh, prior to us starting, but um, so I'll be starting EMDR with my therapist before it hasn't, I didn't feel like it really did anything for me, like, um, but like, I guess um, my question would be like, what sort of advice or suggestions do you have for someone who is starting trauma work? It's to get that support, right? You're going to need that support as you work through it because um, trauma work is very difficult. So look at your support system, right? Who are your friends? Who are your support groups that you can come into? So when you're having maybe you went to the trauma therapy session right and afterwards you might be struggling who's your support people that you can turn to okay um, your therapist um, will go through coping skills relaxation skills and give you those skills that you need so when you're working through that trauma you can fall back and use those right we want you using the healthy coping skills not turning to drugs, to alcohol, right, to self-harm. So use those skills that the therapist has taught you and use your support system. Very good. There's an online question. Somebody asked, uh, what do they do if they're having trouble finding an apartment or a place to live? 
Um, we, I, you might have services, your peer mentors, do they help we, with we that? We do, yeah, we do. Yeah. I mean, and it would depend on the situation, but at least in North Dakota, there are programs that can provide some of that assistance. But, um, you know, I'm very sensitive to the reality that this could be apparent with kids as winter is fast approaching here, um, looking for housing. And so not knowing more about what they mm -hmm. say, you can call the church and we can try to give you some advice about um, some programming. But um, housing is a big issue for people mm -hmm. um, who are trying to reunite. There, yeah, there's several housing programs in the community. It's just getting you hooked up with those. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah there's help on both sides of the river. Uh, so call us if uh, that's something that we can be of help with. Good question. Any other questions? We can do a couple more. We well, we got hands all over the place here. Uh, all right. So hi, I'm Kathy. So this is kind of a little off, but I was in a abusive relationship. Left him when my kids were eight and eleven. Didn't want him to be in that situation anymore. I thought I had it all under control, and I'm an, an alcoholic. So right now what I'm going through is my kids won't let me see my grandkids. And it's been five months with my one daughter who has a two-year-old son. I don't know what I did, so I can't control what she does. But with my other daughter, I have a seven-year-old grandson and a five-month-old grandson also. All, all boys and I have all girls. <laughs> but here's my thing. So I have my grandson on Sunday. He got to come to church with me. What I'm struggling is is he asked me my mommy and his auntie talk bad about me so he has been traumatized this little boy he's seven he was in my life every weekend for six years and this is all just new from this summer my question to you is you know I tell him I love him and I will not badmouth his mom and I know my kids had trauma because of my relationship but I thought I fixed it by leaving him. I know they still have some issues of their own. But how do you explain to this mom that he's being traumatized more? He was abused when he was little by a babysitter. His dad is a heroin addict who is doing good from my understanding, but it's still, he was there, not there, not there, or there. Mom had a new boyfriend with the new baby. He's now in prison, so he's lost father figures. He's lost grandma. And this little boy, if you ask anyone, because I am part of this family, he's my life. Mm. Mm -hmm. You see some of the generational yep. mm -hmm. stuff. I don't yeah. know how to get it through to my daughter that this isn't helping taking away from me or him. I'm in therapy, but some of my trauma came out just today yeah. from years ago. Yeah. So I'm trying to let it go, but knowing he's being traumatized by his mom and his auntie, and this is something he wouldn't know unless they, he, he had to have heard it from them. So I don't know how to handle it. It's hard because you don't have any control over that, right? Mm. And I think as a grandma, the most important thing you can do is be there for him, you know, be consistent with him and be there for as much as she's going to allow you to be. And I like that you said you're not bad-mouthing her. Um, um, and that takes a lot of strength, I'm sure, and, and maturity. And I think that's going to be really helpful. What kind of relationship do you have with your daughter? Okay. 
Okay, I'm going to try not to have too much dialogue back and forth. Sorry. That's okay. She asked you. That's okay. Uh, I was just wondering, is that, a is that a conversation you could have with your daughter? But sure. if it's not, you, you get to be grandma as much as they allow, and you love him, and be consistent, and be a light in his life. Yeah. Even in that situation, it is true that if you keep working on yourself, I would trust God. But mm -hmm. that's tough. You know, obviously I know your situation well. Uh, we had a couple, we had three other questions. We're going to try to deal with them if they're all pretty quick. Um, did you have a question, John? All right. <laughs> I'm John. I'm John, alcoholic. Um, kind of a different... Uh, happy hour to what I was used to in the past, but, uh, <laughs> and a very different, a different question. A um, couple of weeks ago, my niece in South Africa took her own life, and my question to you would be, where do you start as, she, she had two, uh, a son 19 years old and a daughter 14 years old. What, what happens to these kids and what do they think and how do they go about dealing with their mother that's taken their, her own life? Uh, I just wanted to hear what your kind of professional advice would be. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of grief. It's, it's grief work, right? And helping them understand that they couldn't do anything to save her, um, that it wasn't their fault that she chose to do that. Um, so hopefully they can get into some therapy because that's, it's, it's, it's a difficult situation to try and understand, right, why someone would do that. And especially as teenagers trying to figure out Again, you don't want them to have the, this internal message that why didn't she love me enough, right? Wasn't I good enough? Mm -hmm. And the only way to help them with that is getting them, you know, into services so they can help not believe that. Does that make sense? And really work through that grief process. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Um, Camille had a question. Questions. Um, I have become more aware of the fact that I was abused severely as a child, and mostly because I don't learn like other people, and I think that's why I was so abused, and because I was an identical twin also, and compared, because my twin could. But I have sought help, but I have Medicare, and so I can't get help, because very few therapists will take Medicare. Okay. Um, so that's kind of discouraging for me because I know I need it, but you can't get it. Uh, we have providers that take Medicare. And you couldn't, they didn't. I went to Solutions a month ago. They've never called me back. Okay. Um, so I've sought help. Mm -hmm. But even at Solutions where you work, they didn't reach back to me. The other question I have is the fact that... Um, was a program by Hope that was established by Rick Warren's wife after their son committed suicide. Do you have any active Hope programs in Fargo? You may not be familiar mm -hmm. with that program, so mm -mm. I'm not aware of any in town. Yep. Yeah. 
that helps yeah, people in deal with the shame people put on you and the shame you put on yourself. It's co with the celebrate or recovery mm -hmm. things, mm -hmm. but it's a separate program. But I just was wondering if you knew of anybody that had it. No, I don't. Thank you. And I could, afterwards here, if I could get your name and your phone number, if you're willing to give that to me, I'll have our intake people call you. Yeah, thank okay. you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Uh, we had a question over here, I think. If you do you still have a question? We're going to wrap up here, and then um, um, I'll share with you what our next topic will be. And then um, I, I have asked Michelle if she can stick around for a few minutes if there were any conversations, questions that you may perhaps wanted to ask after our session together. My name is Haiti, and I have been working with my daughter's therapist for quite some time now. And next week, I have a reunification with my daughter, but it will be over a video. And she's nervous to be on. My daughter is six years old and doesn't want to be on video, so I just am looking for advice on how to deal with your emotions when it comes to reunification and what to, um, I guess, just the first day of reunification, advice for the first day of reunification and what to focus on mm -hmm. that day. That's a great question. So for you, um, it's going to be really important to um, be calm. You know what I mean? Calm and supportive and allowing her to be comfortable in who she is by not, like if she doesn't, so it's a, like through a telephone, like a video. Okay, so if she doesn't want to turn it on, be okay with that, and just keep talking to her, letting her know that, you know, um, you love her, and stay calm, um, and tell her kind of what she needs, and follow her lead. Does that make sense? So not pushing things on her, but let her kind of lead that um, conversation. Um, You'd, um, that's, that's a very hard question, right? Because you might want her to talk. So you can just talk to her about anything that you think she might like. Do you know what I mean? Like, if you know she likes Barbies, um, don't promise her Barbies. <laughs> like, but just talk about, you know, I used to like playing with Barbies too. Do you know what I mean? And my favorite Barbie had black hair. You know, try to find something that might be engaging to her. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. So it's following her lead, letting her get comfortable and lead that without any pressure. Does that make sense? And then you're just calm and you just follow it. So if she's drawing a flower, oh, you're drawing a flower. That's a pretty color that you chose for that flower. Okay. Does, does that make sense? You're just kind of following what she's doing. So um, thank you. Thank mm -hmm. you. Will you come back again sometime? Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> um, I know that, um, gosh, this is real stuff. And um, I, I, know, I know pretty much everybody here. So there's a lot of a um, lot of diversity and everybody has their own story, of course. And so um, I want to thank you for coming and um, I will ask Michelle to come back again. I think it's a very important topic for our church and uh, 
We really, really, really appreciate um, not only your coming and sharing with us at Lighthouse Church, but the work you do with kids in our community. And, um, you know, God bless you in that. Um, yeah. Thank you.